You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and obviously that comes between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7. And if you link all three of those chapters together, you get the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest and his most famous sermon. And it's interesting because in the middle of chapter 6, if you're just reading through it, the the middle chapter of the sermon, you realize as you're reading chapter 6 that half of the chapter, over half the chapter, Jesus is dealing with money and possessions. Money and possessions, that's, that's a lot of the content of chapter 6. And when you get to chapter, or chapter 6, verse 19, and you look at that verse, Jesus, in verse 19, raises an issue. And I think it is the biggest problem we have when it comes to money and possessions. He raises the, the issue that then has a way of splintering into and affecting how we see and how we interact with money and possessions. In verse 19, Jesus raises the issue of our lost sense of the eternal. Our lost sense of the eternal. Isn't it amazing how we have, we're just prone to, to seeing the world in such a way. We, we, we're just prone to, to seeing the world, to thinking and acting as if there is no life to come, as if this life is all there is, as if there's nothing, there's nothing on the other side of this life. But, but the Bible, on the other hand, confronts us with that tendency. It, it's continually offering promises and painting pictures of the life to come, and, and they are grand pictures. It's an incredibly bright future that's out in front of every son and daughter of God. Uh, the, the Bible, when you're reading it, will, will convince you, if you'll just keep reading the scriptures, the Bible will convince you that this life that we're living right now, like the life that you're in, that I'm in, like this life right now, it's really pre-life. Real life, like the, the life that you've always longed for and always wanted, that's on the other side of this one. But, but this life is just pre-life. It, you, you know, it's interesting, even how the Bible closes in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Uh, the Bible closes with this incredible picture of a renewed and redeemed world that we'll forever call home. Right? But, but we've lost that sense of the eternal. I, our human default is just to drift away from, no, real life is to come, and to start thinking like, no, this life is real life. But we just lose that sense of the eternal. And that lost sense of the eternal is our biggest problem in terms of how we relate to money and possessions. Listen to Randy Alcorn address this. He wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. Um, We give it out all the time. If you you don't have it, I would just recommend maybe you grab it at the bookstore this morning. Um, But listen to what he says about this. He says, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to our giving is this. The illusion that earth is our home. Where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on on where we think our home is. Those who think of earth as their real home will naturally want to pile up treasures here. Those who think of heaven as their real home will naturally want to pile up treasure there. It all comes down to this question. Where's your home? To the Christian, God gives a clear answer. The answer is heaven, the the life to come. That's where real life is. That's our home. The, The only question, he finishes with this, the only question is whether we'll live as if that answer is true. Now, before we go further, let's just take a minute to think about that. I think if I were to ask most people in this room, where is, like, your home? You'd probably say heaven. 
Like many of you would probably kind of lean into like confessionally saying something like that. But just ask yourself the question, is that the way that I live? Do, do I really believe that deep down? And this is really the, the question that Jesus confronts us with in this passage. And by the way, I'm, I'm mainly going to look at verses 19 through 21 this morning. And this is what he's confronting us with, is this question. Will we live like heaven's our home? Will we do that? Will heaven be so real to us that it begins to work backward and, and, and influence the way we live and how we operate now? Will we live like heaven's our home? So, so here's our text, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's a command. Don't do that, he says. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But on the other hand, here's the command. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus uses treasure imagery. That, that's the metaphor he's, he's, he's using in this passage. And he uses the treasure imagery to show us all of our two options. And you've only got two. You're going to live doing one of these two things. There's very little middle ground here. So, so it's one of two options. Here's option number one. Is you can lay up treasure on earth. You can lay up treasure on earth. That's option number one. Um, and again, this is, this is one option. It's not, it's not a good option. It's not the one Jesus wants. It's, it's actually he's commanding against it. He doesn't just suggest that we don't lay up treasure on earth. He commands us not to do it. This is not the option Jesus wants, but it is an option. We can lay up treasure on earth. Now, when I hear that phrase, lay up treasure on earth, it, it makes me instantly begin to ask a few questions like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to lay up treasure on earth? Does that mean that we shouldn't have a savings account? Does that mean that we should have no sort of long-term planning in our life? Is that, is that what it means? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's the, the heart of what it's getting at there. Um, there are, you know, if you read the scriptures, the Bible definitely commends proverbial wisdom like saving. So think of Proverbs chapter 6, and uh, the, the, uh, the writer of that proverb uses an ant who is going to store up here, so he has something later. So there, there is proverbial wisdom that the Bible commands when it comes to saving. And at the other end of the spectrum, though, we all need to come to grips with there are moments when Jesus looks at people and says, I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to sell it all. Think Luke chapter 18 and the rich young ruler. But I think at the heart of this idea of laying up treasure on earth, Jesus is getting at this, that there is a difference between prudent, wise, and kingdom-focused planning with your money. That there's a difference between prudent, wise, and kingdom-focused planning, and on the other hand, a self-centered, self-absorbed planning that fails to factor in kingdom causes and the concerns of God. That there is a difference between those two. And here's the difference. The, the, the former, Jesus calls sin. This sort of planning that, that, that is closed to Jesus. Financial planning that assumes this world is the only thing I care about. It's all about this world. That way of seeing and planning and thinking about money and possessions, Jesus calls sin. A way of seeing our money and possessions that's closed to the concerns of God's. That, that fails to see that the way we deal with our money and possessions today really does affect eternity forever. Jesus is saying that way of dealing with money and possessions, that, that way of dealing with it that doesn't factor in forever, that, that is sin, he is saying. And this is what he's prohibiting. So just ask yourself the question, 
When you're thinking about financial, you know, your financial world, does your planning go out three minutes? That's some of us in the room. And it needs to go out longer than that, right? Does it go out three months? Does it go out maybe three years, maybe 30 years? It's like good long-range financial planning, right? And Jesus is saying, if you're in that category, your financial planning is dominated by three-minute versus 30-year planning, it's all sinful. You're laying up treasures on earth. Jesus is saying your financial planning, your thinking about the future needs to extend 30, 40, 50 billion years into the future. And if it doesn't, it's sinful planning. This is what he's getting at with laying up your treasure on earth. It's all about accumulating in the here and now, protecting yourself in the here and now. Um, Another question that comes up when when I think about this passage or this idea of laying up treasure on earth is is why is it a bad idea? Why is Jesus against laying up treasure on earth? Why is he against financial planning that just factors in the next 30 years or the next three minutes? Why is he against that? Here's the, the, the main reason. And this is explicit in this text. The reason is because earthly treasures just don't last. They don't last. The worst thing and the reason why amassing things in the here and now, treasure, money and possessions in the here and now, is that they're so temporal. You're not taking it with you. It's not leaving this life with you. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. All of our, our sort of earthly treasures, our money and possessions, they're all vulnerable to decay, to depreciation, to destruction. One day they're even going to disappear. Think about everything that you consider valuable in your life right now in terms of money and possessions. Those things that you've worked so hard to buy, to get. All that money you got to say, whatever. Just think about whatever you've got and, and just know this. Here is the end game for every earthly treasure. It's a junkyard. That's where it's headed. That's where it's going. At some point in the future, that is going to find itself in a junkyard, in a dump somewhere. You can't take it with you. It it all ends with your life. This is why Jesus is saying it's such a bad idea. Earthly treasures just don't last. So he's saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't, Don't do that. It's sinful to do that. It's, it's just thinking about the next 30 years, and if you're in Christ, you're going to be alive forever. It, it just, it's, it's not factoring in all of that forever. Don't, don't do that, he's saying. But on the other hand, here's option two. Option one is you can lay up treasure on earth. Option two is you can lay up treasure in heaven. Option one, Jesus is against. Option two, Jesus is for. Option one is to your eternal detriment. It's unwise. It's short-sighted. Option two, laying up treasure in heaven is to your eternal benefit. It's wise. It's smart. It's looking at the long view and what you're going to get to enjoy forever. Right? This is why Jesus says, don't do option one. It's sinful to do that. But yes, do this. Be all about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, again, when I read that, that phrase, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it immediately makes me start asking questions. I'll just run through a few questions that that it brings to my mind. Question number one, what what does it mean? What does that mean to lay up treasure in heaven? When when Jesus says lay up treasure in heaven, he's saying, I want you to to take what I've entrusted to you, and I want you to invest those things. I want you to use those things for things that are beyond you. 
right? Laying up treasure on earth is we take what God's entrusted to us and everything is about us. It's building our kingdom, building our life, making our life comfortable, making sure we've got all the things. That's laying up treasure here. Laying up treasure in heaven is taking what God has entrusted to us and it's leveraging those things. It's stewarding those things beyond us all the way to the plans and purposes of God. That that's laying up treasure in heaven. And, and now think about this. When, when he says, I want you to, to lay up treasure in heaven, I want, you to, I want you to take what I've entrusted to you, and I want you to use that for my plans and purposes. Jesus takes that a step further, and he incentivizes that. He's saying, when you do that, when you take what I've entrusted to you, and you throw those into kingdom agendas, like you throw those into to, to my plans and purposes in the world. When you do that, you're going to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that you will enjoy forever. He's incentivizing it. Now notice, Jesus isn't calling us to renounce money and possessions. He, he's not saying, I, I want the, the renunciation of these things. That's, that's not his deal. What he's after is the relocation of them. It's not about renunciation, but relocation. He wants us to put our treasure to, to the, into the place where it will last forever, where we'll enjoy it forever. He's urging us to use our earthly treasure now in such a way that we'll get to enjoy heavenly treasure forever. That, that's the point Jesus is, is, is making. This is what, what he's urging us toward. Here's another question when I, when I see that phrase, laying up treasure in heaven. It makes me ask the question, well, what, what are treasures in heaven? What, what is that? And it's interesting, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is using a lot of reward language throughout the sermon. So if you go back into chapter 5, uh, verses 11 and 12, those who suffer, Jesus says, those who suffer for my sake, I'm going to reward them. In other words, I, I'm going to give them things in heaven. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, those who give for Jesus' sake in secret, those people are going to be rewarded in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 6 and verse 18, those who pray and fast, not for the applause of other people, but, but in secret, for the, for the sake of knowing their God, Jesus says they're going to be rewarded, right? So, so although the destination of heaven, now this is an, an important clarification, although the destination of heaven isn't determined by our actions. And let's just make sure we're clear on that. The destination of heaven is not determined by our actions, but by the actions of Jesus. Amen? Right? So, so if we're ever going to be right with God, we've got to give up on our doing and start banking on the doing of Jesus. So, so the destination, although the destination of heaven isn't determined by our actions, our experience of heaven is determined by our actions. Your actions now actually matter in your experience of heaven later. Now, let me just try to tease this out for a moment. Life is linear. It's not circular. Like you're not going to die and then be reincarnated and do it again and then being reincarnated and do it again. It's not circular like that. It's linear. And every one of us in the room, every human being, there is going to be a moment where we find ourselves before Jesus the judge. And for those who don't know Jesus, when we stand before Jesus the judge... It will be a judgment of condemnation. For those who refuse Jesus now, there will not be mercy in that moment from Jesus. There will only be wrath in that moment from Jesus. Now just let that sober you for a moment. That day is coming for every human being and everyone who is outside of Jesus. It's a judgment of condemnation. 
Jesus freely offers grace and mercy and, and rescue now. But there is a time limit on that. And if we refuse it now, there will be no mercy then, only judgment. So, so that's for those who are outside of Jesus. But for those who are in Jesus, for those who have been rescued by Jesus, when we stand before God someday, it won't be a judgment of condemnation, but of commendation. For, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, they've given up on themselves and they've banked on the good work of Jesus. Here is the good news of the gospel. There is no condemnation left. Jesus has stood in our place. He lived a perfect life in our place. And then on the cross, he, he died in our place for our sin. All of God's wrath for our sin came crashing down on him. He drank it to the last drop. What we deserved, Jesus endured. That, that's the good news of the gospel. So if you're a child of God, a son or daughter of God, you've got nothing to fear when you stand before God. Nothing to fear. There is no condemnation left. There's only commendation. God the Father rewarding and commending his kids based upon their faithfulness. Now, Jonathan Edwards, he's one of my favorite pastors in church history. He used the metaphor of a boat to describe what that sort of commendation, what that reward, uh, kind of, he gives us a, a way to think about it. And he uses a boat to describe it. He says, if you picture heaven, and in heaven, everyone will have a boat. And that boat is meant to carry heaven's cargo, which we'll call joy. It's joy in Jesus, right? It's meant to, to carry the cargo of joy in heaven. He said everybody's going to have a boat, and everybody's boat is going to be filled to the brim. So it's not like someone's not going to be happy in heaven. Everyone is going to be forever happy in heaven, right? Everyone's boat is going to be filled to the brim of the cargo. But your life now, your faithfulness now, in, in many ways, prepares for you a larger boat in heaven for your boat, for, for your soul to carry more of, of heaven's cargo, more joy in heaven. So everyone is going to be happy in heaven forever, but some people, based on your, your faithfulness now, you're going to have the capacity to, to experience more joy than other people in heaven, more joy in Jesus, more joy in the place of heaven, more joy in heaven. This is what Jesus is making clear here. It's not just suffering that increases our experience of heaven. It's not just prayer that increases our experience of heaven. It's not just fasting that enlarges our experience of heaven. In this passage, Jesus is also saying, it's your generosity. Your generosity in this life increases and enlarges your experience of heaven later. This is what Jesus is saying here. Our generosity now, in many ways, shapes our experience of eternity later. Not in the sense of earning heaven, but enlarging and enlivening our experience of heaven. But when I read a statement like, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it makes me ask the question, well, how do we do that? How do we lay up treasure in heaven? And I think the short answer to that is delayed gratification. D delayed gratification. This passage, in this passage, Jesus is, is making the case for. He's saying, deny yourselves temporary pleasures. Like things that you could have now in this life. He's saying, this is just pre-life. So you don't have to have everything now. So he's saying, D deny yourself some gratification in, in this life. D deny yourself some, some of the temporary pleasures of this life that are small and momentary, so that 
you can increase your eternal pleasures that are large and lasting. Right? He's saying, when you take what I've entrusted to you and you invest it into my causes, my plans, and my purposes, it, it then is sent ahead to heaven where you will enjoy it forever. That, that's how we do it. This is very similar to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Matthew 6, 1 Timothy 6, very similar language between Jesus and Paul. And it's going to be on the screen for you, but let me read this for you. Paul says this, and he's talking to those who are rich which generally, we think of rich as like you have to be a millionaire and have like all this money. All that. Basically, everyone in this house would fit in Paul's mind, in, the, in this church would fit generally into the category of rich. And this is what he says. If that's you, they are to do good. He says to, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So think about those, the, those um, actions. We're rich in good works. We're generous. This is how we're rich in good works. We're generous and ready to share. Now look at what that produces. Verse 19. When we do that, we are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. When we're generous, ready to share. Here's a need and I just meet that need. Here's, here's a care that Jesus has in this world. I just step in and I invest what God has entrusted to me to, to, into that, that care of Jesus. Saying when we do that, we are storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven. This is how Randy Alcorn, he, he goes on to explain it this way. He says, Christians throughout the ages have taken these passages literally and have been far less serious than we are about earthly treasure and far more serious than we are about heavenly treasure. Maybe we could just ask ourselves the question, are we more serious about earthly treasure or heavenly treasure? For those who, who are more serious about heavenly treasure, Jesus in this passage is calling that sinful. He's saying that needs to be confessed and repented of. He's saying I, I, I want us all leaning toward the future. To that incredibly bright future that's coming to the next 50 billion years. I want you to care primarily about that. And then Randy Alcorn goes on to talk about John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote uh, The Pilgrim's Progress from an English prison, cell to which he, has been condemned, which he had been condemned for unlicensed preaching of the gospel. Randy Alcorn goes on. This is how John Bunyan interpreted the words of Christ and Paul. So how do we lay up treasure in heaven? This is John Bunyan's answer to that. Whatever good thing you do for Jesus, if done according to his word, is laid up for you as treasure in chests and coffers to be brought out to be rewarded before both men and angels to your eternal comfort. He's saying you, you take what Jesus has given you, your time, your gifts, money and possessions, you, you invest those into Jesus' agendas, the things that, that Jesus is concerned about, and they, they are sent ahead of you where you will enjoy them forever. You delay your gratification now, and you will get to enjoy it. You'll get to be gratified forever with these things. It's Randy Alcorn's one-line summary. It's the treasure principle. Here's the treasure principle from Randy Alcorn. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can't take it with you. Isn't it crazy how, how many of us, and I am so tempted toward this too, how so many of us are building our life around the accumulation of things that we can't take with us. 
You, you, can't take it with it, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. When I read a statement like, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it makes me ask the question, well, why should we do that? Why not lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven? Why should we lay up treasure in heaven? And I think there's a couple of different responses from this passage. One, Jesus is making the point here. One reason that we should lay up treasure in heaven is because heavenly treasure will last. There's only two options. It's either we're going to store it up here, we're going we're to lay it up here, or we're going to lay it up there. Everyone storing it up here, it will die with you. It will be gone when you die. Everyone who stores it up in heaven, you're going to walk into the enjoyment of that treasure forever. You'll enjoy it forever. And and again, just notice, Jesus is not saying, don't worry about treasure. No, no, he's saying, "I, I want you to worry about treasure. I want you to worry about it so much that you'll relocate your treasure to the place where it will last forever. Jesus is saying, make the trade. Make the trade. Trade temporal things. Temporal things that you can't keep for eternal things that you can't lose. Make the trade. Jesus is just saying, it's, it's a good trade. Make the trade. Heavenly treasure will last forever. Think about everything that God's entrusted to you. Just big or small, whatever, whatever the amount of things that Jesus has entrusted to you, where you demand Instant gratification. Gratification now. Where you demand that gratification now, you lose gratification forever. But, on the other hand, where you forego gratification now, you gain gratification forever. So Jesus is saying, make make that trade. It's a good trade. Make that trade. Heavenly treasure will last. Why should we lay up our treasure in in heaven? Uh, One answer to that, it's just, it's logical. It's just, it's smart. Jesus is just appealing to to logic here. Um, I love in Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. Again, if you don't have that, I just encourage you to grab it at the bookstore today. But he uses this analogy of um, Confederate money. He says, just imagine that you're, in, that you're in the South at the end of the Civil War. And that you're a northerner. You're going to go back to the North when the war is over. But you're in the South. And while in the South, you have accumulated a ton of Confederate currency. I mean, you've got Confederate money just running out of your ears. You have so much of it. You just you got it everywhere. Right? You, you've got a lot of Confederate currency. And, and he says, just suppose that you know that you've been given some insider information. The war is about to be over, that the North is going to win, and, and the, the war being over is imminent. It, it is about to happen. He just says, what would you do? You have all this Confederate money that you know once the war is over, all of that money is going to have no value. I mean, you've got a whole pile of it right there, and it is about to go from something valuable to no value at all. What would you do? He's like, if, if you're like halfway smart, what you would do is you would keep what you need for the here and now. You'd keep just that and everything else you would trade into U.S. dollars. You would convert over into the currency that will last and be valuable after the war is over. And he's saying, now just apply that to your life for a moment. That is where everyone in this room is. We've got things, earthly things. You've got money. You've got possessions. And, and Jesus has given you the inside information. This life is going to be coming to an end fairly quickly for all of us in the room. And so what are you going to do with that? You, you've, got, you've got currency. You've got things that are valuable now that will have no value on the other side of this life. And either we're going to be that person who just keeps building the mass of things that aren't going to be valuable forever, or we're going to just use what we need. 
just to kind of make this life work, and we're going to trade as much as we can into the currency of heaven that will last forever. Now, just think about your life. Is that the way you're thinking about it? Is it all about making this pile big that's going to have no value forever, or is it about keeping this pile relatively small, trading as much into this stack as you can that you'll get to enjoy forever? Is that the way you see money and possessions in your life? It's just logical, Jesus says. It's, just, it's, a, it's a good way to see your money and possessions and what God has entrusted to you. But why should we lay up treasures in heaven? This is the last one. Because your heart follows your treasure. This is verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That, that verse is so helpful for me. In one way, it exposes me. Like if you want to know where your heart is, like what your heart really loves, just follow your money. It'll show you. It'll show you what your heart's really looking to for life. And on the other hand, it's also very hopeful. If you don't like where your heart is, if your heart's too drawn into the things of this world, it's hopeful. If you don't like where your heart is and you want it to be somewhere else, then move your money. If you move your money from being invested into these things and you start investing it into those things, your heart's going to naturally follow that. If you want to love your church more, invest more into your church. If you, if you want your heart to, to love caring for the orphan more, invest more of your money into caring for the orphan. If you want your heart to love church planting more, invest more of your earthly money and possessions into church planting and your heart will love it more. If you want your heart to love more, getting the gospel to the unreached parts of the world, start investing your money into getting the gospel to the unreached parts of the world and your heart's going to come alive to seeing the gospel get to the, to the, into the earth. That's just the way it works. It, your heart's going to follow your money. So it exposes us. It's going to show us where our heart is, but it gives us hope. If you want your heart to move, move your money to other places. This is why we should lay up treasure in heaven. Your heart follows your treasure. If you want your heart to be enthralled with heaven, to think about heaven, to just be obsessed with it, start moving more of your treasure into heaven. And your heart's going to naturally lean in that way. It's going to be eager in its anticipation of the life to come. Now, here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. Um, I could keep talking about this, or I could give you a living, breathing sort of example of it. And I want to do that. So when it comes to models, we all need models in our life. Um, in evangelism, you need models. You need to be around people with the gift of evangelism who just bleed to see people know Jesus. You need to be around those people. Um, you need to be around people who have the gift of service, like my precious wife. She has the gift of service. You don't have to be around my wife very long and just watch her anticipate the needs of others to know how self-absorbed you really are. It's, it's a painful thing to, to watch that, and it's a beautiful thing, but I need that model in my life. And in the same way, we need models for generosity. But we need people who a text like this has landed on their heart in a very profound way to help us along the journey. We're all on the journey of believing and living according to this passage. We need models of people who have done that. And one such model is a guy named David Hansen. So I want to invite David out. Uh, Dave is one of our elders. He's been an elder for the last, uh, yeah. He's been an elder for the last five or six years in and around our church family and has just been such a gift to our church 
especially in this area. He's been such a great model, been so helpful for me and our church as we're all trying to figure out how do we lean into this and believe this more. So I would love, I've just asked Dave to come up uh, this morning to share a bit about that journey. Um, No one just wakes up and is miraculously just like, I'm living here doing this and just like believing this. That, that is a journey the Lord has to take us on. And Dave, I would love um, for you to just take a few minutes and to share how the Lord has helped this passage and these thoughts just become real to you, so real that you would actually live into them. Well, first of all, I love everything you've said this morning, Rodney. I just think it just is overflowing with truth. And, you know, when you asked me to speak on generosity, I just had this knot in my stomach because I'm thinking, I am not a generous man. How could I be generous with what I don't own? Mm -hmm. And I would say for the last 30 years, God has just laid on me the things that I have, the things he's put under my care are his. And I've just been overwhelmed by the fact that I'm called to be a good steward and to take those things and multiply them. The parable of the talents lands on me in such a heavy way that there's going to be an accounting one day and the master of the of the estate is going to return. He's going to say to me, I gave you a certain amount of talents. What did you do with those? Mm-hmm. And, man, I want to be able to sit in front of the Lord and say, man, I took what you gave me and I multiplied them and I did that for your glory, Lord. Mm-hmm. So that has just landed on me in such a heavy way. The first 30 years of my life it didn't, and I'll get into that in a minute. But I had such a real-life example of what the Bible teaches us in the last six, eight weeks. My mother, who is 85 years old, uh, finds herself somewhat crippled, and we had to put her in a uh, retirement home, an assisted living home. And there was this moment where I was in her house with my sister's 3,500-foot house with 40 years of things in this house. And my mother was kind of a Renaissance woman. She was an artist and a musician. She was a builder. She bred horses. I mean, just any number of things. And I stood there in this house, and I looked, and every inch of this house was full, every closet, every cupboard, every suitcase, the, the garage. There was no room in this house, and she lived there by herself for, for a great uh, number of years. My dad died 25 years ago. So we stood there, and there was this moment where my sisters and I asked each other, do you want these things? Mm-hmm. And short of a few mementos that meant a great deal and just uh, were a remembrance of my mom's life, all of us said no. And, man, I was staggered by the truth of God's word. There's a moment in your life, whether it's today or tomorrow or, or 40, 50 years from now, where you're going to stand there. And I thought about how much time goes into collecting these things. And there were statues and artwork and musical instruments and furniture and jewelry and just on and on and on. And I thought, you know, this isn't, my mom's no different than the vast majority of us. She collected these things, and we've become, as Americans, so consumed with what we own to the point where we even have to rent many warehouses to Mm -hmm. store the things that we can't use, Mm -hmm. and we put them away. But what landed on me is how much of our time do we spend accruing these things? How much of our time do we spend caring for these things? And how often do we need to build a bigger house to house these things? God Mm -hmm. says, don't build up warehouses for these things on the earth, trust me. I mean, it just consumed me and how much money went into these things. And I stood there and I looked and I thought, all of the things that are in this house are either going to end up in the dump or going to end up in an estate sale and in somebody else's closet. And man, that was so sobering for me mm-hmm. to recognize that. So to share my own story a little bit, uh, in my teens, I wanted to be the quintessential self-made man. 
and I wanted to be the American success story, and I began to read everything there was about how to be a millionaire, how to look like a millionaire, how to think like a millionaire, how to invest like a millionaire. Man, I consumed this, and it just began to overwhelm me in my thinking, and I started thinking about building my own kingdom. Now, I didn't call it my own kingdom, but I started to think about how can I be successful, and in my 20s, I began to buy real estate and accumulate real estate, and I used some of the techniques, which at that time were no money down, buy uh, real estate for zero down, all leverage, and boy, it was working for a while, and I began to grow this real estate empire, and at the same time, I worked for my parents. We built apartments and shopping centers, and there was a moment about 27 years old where I looked down on paper, and I had achieved what I set out to do, and there was this self-edifying moment where I looked up and said, wow, look what I have done. I've arrived here. And I said to my wife-to-be, we're set forever. We don't ever have to worry about anything. And let me say to this room, when you find yourself saying that, you should look at your back foot because it's standing on the edge of an abyss. And I was standing on the edge of an abyss and didn't realize it. I had built my house on sand. It was built on my own wisdom and intelligence and drive and ego and just hubris in this moment. The boy had this. Well, within several months, the winds began to blow and my house blew over and I lost everything that we had. And uh, I just, there was so many things to learn in that moment, but it was so overwhelming to me that I, my plans were gone and I realized I didn't have the wisdom and I didn't know how to do these things and I didn't have control and God began to really speak to me. It was humbling. But I remember sitting on my couch, true story, shaking my hand at God. How could you have done this to me? I had written checks to the church and done all this stuff. I thought, boy, I'm just really in God's good grace. But anything I had done was for my own benefit. Even writing those checks was so that I could say I checked the box of being a good man. And I realized none of that was built on the foundation of God. And I know for myself, I talked to a lot of men in this room, 25 to 45, you're building a kingdom. I mean, my warning to you guys, I'm hoping God pushes a reset in your life. With the moment you begin to build and accrue things for yourself, you're only a moment away from God making a judgment on that. And for me, it was a reset button. I, I look back and I think there was no better moment in my entire life than that reset. Because mm -hmm. had I continued down that path, I would have probably ended this life wrapped in possessions, and missed what God had for me. So I reveled in that mm -hmm. moment, and God began to speak to me. Next few years, uh, when it came out of that, I would liken it to being in the wilderness. Honestly, I didn't quite know what to do. I did several different jobs, and ultimately I decided to begin to build my own business. And uh, if I'm honest, it really wasn't very good initially. <laughs> uh, I began to build this business, and this is how it went. I would do no business all day long. About 4 o'clock, a guy would come in, buy enough to pay my bills for the day, and we would do the next day. And I just remember saying to my wife, man, I'm a lot like Elijah, man. God just feeds me every day. He brings enough for me to be fed every day. But here's what happened. There was so much grace in that moment of God giving me time during the day. I was my only employee. So I began to pray, and I began to study, and I began to listen for the voice of the Lord, and I began to hear him. And I, I liken that for me to something similar to what David must have felt up in the mountains with the sheep. Mm -hmm. I've said this often. David sat up there and he saw the stars and began to recognize the power and the awesomeness of our creator, and it began mm -hmm. to overwhelm him. And I had the same thing. And I just began to be overwhelmed that what I have, if I have anything, is God's. 
and I'm called to use that in this life. It's, it's a short life. It goes by fast. Yeah. Uh, but I'm called to use those things to build his kingdom. That just began to lay on me. And I worked by myself, and I remember just praying out loud and walking around the store and just asking God what he thought. And we became friends mm -hmm. to some great degree. Man, I just had this sense of who he was and how magnificent. And I was overwhelmed just by who he was. Mm -hmm. So this was a great time. And I remember I read about Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Shadrach and just these stories of faith. And I began to say to myself, man, I serve the same God today that served with those men. Why can't I be a man of faith like that? And I said to my wife, we are either going to live or we're going to die by faith. And I'm not sure I care either way. I'd like to live. But, <laughs> uh, but here's the truth. We're going to begin to be people of faith. I mean, it was an intentional moment. We said we're going to change the things of this world for the things that God would have us to do. And we began to invest initially. It was Mission Arlington, and then it was Battered Women's Shelter, and we helped a lot of single moms, and God would bring person after person into our business that needed help, and we just said, we're going to help. And so we began to, to just pour things out, and God would pour them back, and we'd pour them out, and he'd pour them back, and just flex those muscles of faith till I just began to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'm going to say yes. And mm -hmm. I think he laid that on me, yeah. and I think he lays it on all of us. We don't have to know what the cost is. We just say yes to the things that God puts in front of us. When we do that, we're beginning to move in the kingdom that he has for us. So it, for me, it was such a great time. We weren't making much money, but, man, I just began to write checks that we didn't even have the funds to cover. Um, <laughs> I'm not recommending that to anybody. <laughs> but I just said, but we're either trusting God or we're not trusting God. And we did that, and I never had a check bounce, not one time. And we began to just hand this, these things out. And there was a moment where we had pretty much depleted everything we had, and I needed a semi-truck for our business. And this was just such a moment of grace for me as I think back still is to this day. I began to pray for this semi-truck, and within 24 hours, this is the absolute truth, a man walks through my front door. I'm in this little warehouse. He says, I don't know why I'm here, but do you need a semi-truck? And... Uh, <laughs> I said, I do need a semi-truck. I can't afford one, though. He said, well, could you afford $700? I said, I can do $700. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, here's the title. It's parked out back. It's your truck. And, man, you know, I'll probably do it again right now because I always do. But I was so <laughs> overwhelmed. I sat there just, I wept because it was so clear to me. My God was speaking to me and saying, I have you. You can move in faith. You can walk into deep waters where you trust me. You don't have to have your hand on the shore. Just go. And man, it was revelatory to me. And I sit here today. I still have that trailer. It was 10 years old when I bought it. It's 30 years since I bought it. It's a 40-year-old trailer. It's sitting in front of my warehouse right now. And I leave it there, not because it's functional. It's not at this point. But because it's a reminder of God's good grace and what mm -hmm. he did. And we need those touch points. And I know everybody in this room has those touch points. Revel in those moments. And I'm going to say to people in this room, if you are in that wilderness... And don't run from that. Embrace that. God's got something great for you. Lean mm -hmm. into that moment. What do you want from me, Lord? You know, I would pray for all of you. There's a reset button if you're living your own kingdom. If you're not walking after God, I hope and pray God pushes mm -hmm. your reset button because there's nothing of more value than walking out this life having served and honored God. So find myself at 61 now, uh, which feels really old. I feel like it was a week ago I was 25, but I'm 61. 
and I start to think about what is the next 20, 30 years, if I have it, maybe I have a year, I don't know. But whatever that is, I start to say, I don't want to coast into retirement. God can still use me. He can still provide resources. I want to be a man that plows things into the kingdom until the last day that I die. And, you know, I'm going, I'm going to aim this at a lot of our older men in this room. You're sitting on resources right now. You plan for retirement. There's nothing wrong with that. But my question would be to you, how good of a retirement do you need to lead what do you need to have to finish this life? Are you controlling these things just so you can control them? Or are you trusting God? I mean, the thing that landed on me some years ago, and many of you have heard this sermon, but it's so poignant and just lands on me in such a big way. In this John Piper sermon on seashells. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've heard it, uh, bear with me. If not, I'll tell you just a quick synopsis of it. John Piper reads a story in the Reader's Digest, and he says, this is a tragedy. 59-year-old man, 51-year-old woman, they've worked hard, they retire, and they move to Punta Gorda, Florida for one reason, to live on the beach and collect seashells. And there's a moment where these people are going to die and they're going to stand in front of God. I mean, this moment has landed on me for years. How am I going to stand in front of God and present to him what my life looked like? And he says to them, show me what your life looks like, and they pull out this seashell collection. <laughs> And they hand it in front of the Lord. What do you think, Lord? I mean, I just think that's going to be a moment where you have traded your opportunity to have done great things with what God entrusted you with. The moment where you yeah. could say, I multiplied the things that God gave me. I'd much rather stand in front of God with this collection. I helped a single mom that needed her rent paid. I helped a child that needed to be adopted, and there weren't finances for that. I helped plant a church. I helped wherever God put in front of me, and I just said yes. And, man, I would love to hand that to God and say, man, I didn't get this for a long time, but just the weight of who you are and what you've done and the overwhelming sense of grace that you've given me, I could do nothing but use my resources mm -hmm. for you. And, man, this, this just lays on me, mm -hmm. and uh, I think about that. So uh, it brings us up to today. Uh, we sit in this auditorium. And, man, I know across this room how many people were sacrificial to build this building for this moment in history. And I know for Kathy and I, we said we're going to sell our assets, we're going to use those, we're going to help build this thing. And for me, there was a moment, and that moment came on our first Sunday at 6 a.m. in the morning. There was nobody in this church, and I sat in that chair right over there and just overwhelmed that God had given me an opportunity. And I really think of it this an opportunity to participate in heavenly things. And God doesn't need our money. He just mm -hmm. is hoping we understand things are more value than this earthly thing. And I just sat there reveling in the fact that if I lost everything else in this life, I had at least sent someone something forward mm -hmm. into eternity. And, man, it was just overwhelmingly good. And I, yeah. I loved that moment. And I hope if you were one of those people that sacrificed that you feel that same weight, that there's something in that moment that you gave up assets and resources to build God's kingdom. And if you weren't in that moment, I just pray that this would be a day where you start to think, man, I don't have to have all the best things. I don't have to have the experiential trip and the best house and the nicest cars and a ton of money in the bank for retirement. And my kids don't always have to go to the very best school, but I begin to make choices that honor God. And I think when we do that, we're people that are honoring mm -hmm. and being used by God. So I'll just end by saying we're all a tool. I pray for each one of us we'd be a sharp tool in God's hand. The tool I see myself is is a pipe. 
I just want blessings to flow in one end and then out the other. I want to hear the sound of those blessings going through that pipe. It's a good yeah. sound. So whatever tool you are, my, and my prayer for you would be just that you recognize that things of this earth are so transitory. I, I said a minute ago, I was 25 a week ago. I'm 60. I'll be 80 in another week. And then it's over. <laughs> and man, then yeah. you are for millions of years standing with God in it's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world and miss the things of where we're going. And, uh, man, my prayer for all of us would be that we recognize that and understand yeah. that. So. You know, I know that uh, one of the scripts that oftentimes, I, I would just assume it's across this room, that there, there's that script in our, in our head that we hear of like, man, we just got to get this thing, though. We've got to get that thing. We've got to get that, that better house. We've got to get that next car. We've got to get that next possession. And there's just that constant um, churn in us thinking that if we can just get that, then we'll be okay. And I'd love for you just to, to address that in us, in me, that, that thing that just I hear that voice a lot, and uh, help us with that. Well, that's, that's a good question. And, you know, I, could, I shared with you how I had arrived at being a wealthy man in my 20s. And it was so interesting. I reveled in that for about five minutes, and then all of a sudden it was hollow. There was nothing there. And it was like, what do you do now? You've, you've met your goal. What do you do? You just keep accruing and amassing and doing these things. And we're all at different spots. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of men and how often I'm going to trade my job out for my family. i got to get that next promotion. And, man, I love Matthew 6 uh, where he says, do not be anxious. He said, do I not feed the birds of the air? Do I not clothe the flowers in the field? If you will put the heavenly kingdom first, all these other things will accrue to you. Mm -hmm. And I think for me at my age, that has landed so hard. I don't need to strive for all these things. I need to trust God. When I trust the creator of the universe, great things begin to happen. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's an urge in all of us. We want to accomplish something. But if we can supplant that urge, well, I want to accomplish something great for the kingdom of God. We're now on a track that's of immense yeah. value. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And maybe just uh, one last question, just to give us some general encouragement. Like when you think about this text about like, gosh, let's be people who trade the things of this life into the next life so that we can enjoy them forever. Um, what would you just want to leave us with to encourage us to, uh, when you think about the future of our church, just the need for this way of thinking and all that? How would you just want to finish by encouraging us? Well, you know, I've shared this story before in front of the congregation, man, of just how God has gone before us so mm -hmm. repeatedly and just the miracles we have as a church. Yeah. And uh, I said this in the first service, I know God's not going to write another chapter to the Bible, but if he did, I would love to hear in those words that church in Midlothian could not wait to bring their offerings unto God to grow the gospel and to build the gospel and build things of heaven. We're sitting here in this church, three high schools around us. How many thousands of high school students can we impact? Yeah. How does God use this church in the next many years for his great glory? And, man, I think my prayer when I think about it, and I pray this often for our body, that we would become a body that doesn't count costs at all. We just say yes. Mm -hmm. We say, what do you want, Lord? Let's go. And that requires faith. That requires stepping off the shore and letting go. But if we became that body... In this world of strife and trouble and just the contention, I think it's the moments where you're generous, the moment where you help that mother and these things that are witnesses to who God is. It's not us talking about being Christians. It's us beginning to actually live out a Christian yeah. life. 
And I think we do that when we begin to count our possessions as of little value. Yeah. And we begin to just say yes to whatever God would want. So my prayer for us as a body would be that we would just grow and be people of incredible faith. And I think faith is just the opposite side of the same coin of generosity. Yeah. When we're people that know that God is who he says he is, we believe that God is the creator of the universe, we begin to not be fearful of letting our things go. Yeah. And when we're generous, we're faithful. When we're faithful, we're generous. And the yeah. two go hand in hand. So my prayer for us as a body would be we spend time with God. We begin to grow in depth, in deepness, and know the Father. And we don't look to our own resources, but we look to him. And we say yes in, in all these moments that, Amen that come. To that. So. Dave, thank you for being such a good model for me along the, the way, for our church along the way. Thanks for sharing this morning. I, I would encourage y'all, if, if some of y'all have been entrusted with like things and you're like, God, just more than anything, want to steward these things well, you should get time with Dave. He is such a great voice. He's been such a great voice into my life in this, would be such a great voice into your life. So thanks for being that man among our church family, Dave. I'd love to take a second to pray for you. Father, we thank you for this man, and I thank you for how you've been at work in his life. Um, what he is sharing today is evidence of your grace operating in his heart. And Father, I pray that, that you would keep him there. I pray that he would finish this life not with an accumulation of something as silly as, as seashells, but something that will last forever. So, oh God, would you help him in that? Will you keep him there? Uh, God, we thank you for this man and the work that you've done in him. And it's in your good name. Amen. So there where you are, I just want to invite you to, to bow your head. and Yeah, that, that is worth an applause. You bet. <clears throat> um, as a quick aside before we pray, uh, in the first service, in the middle of Dave talking, somebody came up and threw $20 on the stage, and, uh, which is not what any of us are after this morning. We're not, I want to be clear, we're not after that. But here's what I am after. This is what I actually loved about that moment is part of what this passage is meant to do is to free our hearts so that when we encounter a need, we spontaneously react like that. And can you imagine if we're a church full of that? Of, of people that believe a text like this to the point that, that God presents a need, that there is a moment to help an adoption. There's a church planting moment. There's, there's a getting the gospels to the end of the earth moment. There's a helping a church take a next step moment. And we just spontaneously say, yes. Yes, I don't care about these things near as much as I care about those things. So yes, God. Could you imagine if we were a church like that? So with that said, why don't you pray with me? I just want to give you a moment to sit before the Lord. You know, Matthew 6 has, has had such an, a profound effect upon me. I'm still on the journey of it. But one of the things it's done is just show me that there is a huge difference between being rich and being rich toward God. And in the end, the latter is the only one that matters. Being rich toward God. You know, I, I think one day we're going to stand before Jesus. And I don't think anyone in that moment is going to say, standing there before Jesus, oh gosh, I just, I wish I would have hoarded a little bit more. I, I wish I would have just saved a little bit more and died with a little bit. I, I don't think anybody's going to say that. I think we're all going to be so thankful for every moment of delayed gratification. Every moment of sending it forward. We're going to be so thankful for that. I'm just going to close by encouraging with these words from Jim Elliott, missionary martyr. He summarized in a single phrase what we're trying to communicate in this text. What this text is communicating this morning. 
when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God, would you help us believe that? Would you help us to trust that? God, would you help us to bank our life on that being true? God, would you do that in us? Would you do that for us? Oh, God, we pray that you would. I need help in that, God. I know that we as a church need help in that. Give us the eyes of faith that can see the world like that, oh God. So Father, would you meet us here this morning? Would you help us this morning? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.